special set. And, and I really think that this is one of those you constantly have to keep it in front of you. We made these cards. They're available over here on this table. This is a great reminder right now. It's got the four statements of the greatest uh, you know, tragedy, the greatest challenge, mistake, failure, those four statements that we have been making. Um, it's got those on there. And then it's got the statement that God has something he wants to get done that makes you necessary. There's a reason why you're here. And I don't know about you, but some days I, just, I need to hear that. I need to know there's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm, that God put me in this earth. Remember we said that your very existence is proof that the world needs what you have. Just because you're here. Because God doesn't do anything by accident. He's purposeful in everything that he does. And so um, keep that in front of you. Get these things. Put them uh, in your car. Uh, take several of them. Put them in your car. Put them uh, you know, in your mirror, in your bathroom, your computer at work. Uh, you know, it's good to keep this stuff in front of us no matter what. And um, I can promise you that you, your life will be more determined. It will be more devoted, more focused because you are going back and hearing these messages. There was a lot in the last, this is our sixth week now. So in the last five weeks going into today, there's a lot. We talked about your potential. We talked about why God created you, why he's even put man here. We talked about what purpose is, and not only do I want to help you discover the purpose for your life, but this will carry over to anything. You'll know, you'll understand the purpose of prayer. You'll understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You'll understand the purpose of money. You'll understand why you even have a job. When you understand purpose and discovering the purpose of something helps you use it properly, then it says, well, man, I want to know, I want to know what the purpose is for kids. I want to know what the purpose is. Uh, for, uh, you know, for my job, for the things that I own, for my family. I want to know the purpose because when I discover the purpose, then you can use it properly. Amen? Well, today, um, I, I say it'll be a quick message. I, I hate to throw that out there sometimes because I'm thinking in my mind it is, and then no telling what God wants to do. But um, I really don't have a whole lot. I just want to look at one person's life because here's the thing. We've been talking about purpose. We've defined what purpose is. We said, until you discover the purpose for something, abuse is inevitable. You will mess it up. You won't use it properly. You won't know what you're doing with it until you discover why it is created in the beginning. Then we saw that the purpose of something is always in the mind of the creator. And only the creator knows truly why that thing was created. Only the creator of the iPhone knows why the iPhone was created, knows the purpose behind it. Only the creator of the Mercedes uh, knows why they created a vehicle brand named Mercedes. Only the purpose, uh, only the manufacturer or creator knows the purpose of something. And so we saw that God, he created everything, everything on the face of this planet, and everything he does has a purpose. There's not one thing God doesn't do. That means the roaches and the mosquitoes and snakes, they all have a purpose because he created them. And the Bible says that the, the plans in a man's heart, over in Proverbs 19.21, the plans in a man's heart, uh, they, uh, many are the plans. You have a lot of plans. You have a lot of plans. I have a lot of plans. But the Bible says in that verse that it's God's purpose that will last forever. So, for us, it seems that our goal in life shouldn't be to make a lot of plans. 
but it should be discover his purpose. He had a he had a purpose from the beginning. Purpose always is there before creation. Before someone creates a thing, at first they had a purpose set up in their idea. Before someone invented the chair, they had a purpose for it. We don't have to stand up all the time. We can sit down. Let's create something to sit on. And so they created a chair. So the purpose was already there before the thing was created. That means before God put you here, he already had a purpose for you being here. And here's where a lot of people go, you know, well, I thought Adam and Eve messed all that up. I thought they ruined our purpose. I thought they took away, uh, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. and They just blew it. So now our purpose is just to discover heaven. But that's not a true statement because, remember, God's purposes are for forever. So his purpose for man in Genesis 1.26, when man shows up for the first time in the Bible, is still the purpose for man today. And Jesus restored all that. Jesus came, died on a cross, uh, you know, was, de- uh, was killed, buried, and then rose again so man could rediscover that purpose to its fruition, be able to fully live out. Remember we said, if you don't know the purpose for your life, your life will, you will be discontent, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. And that's where a lot of people are. They're going to money, and it's not fulfilling anything. They're going to that career. They think, if I could just finish school and do that thing, and it's still not, they're still not fulfilling. We're seeing actors and actresses. We're seeing sports athletes. We're thinking people, business owners, wealthy billionaires that are way up what we think in life. That, man, if we could just achieve that status. And they're dying. They're, they're falling off. They're killing themselves because something's still not fulfilled. I told you about, you know, Mike Tyson. And, you know, when he was in his early 20s, came into, like, Millions of dollars. I think $30 million he was worth at the time. And said that uh, in just an interview just recently that he had all that and still something was missing. And we think that's it. If I could be in a position where I never had to worry about uh, what I was going to wear or what I was going to buy or what I was going to drive or where I was going to live, if I never had to worry about these things, if I had a career that just... You know, I, I was high up in management and, and had all those achievements and awards and employee of the year and blah, blah, blah. We think those little things are what we're made up of, and they don't. That's not our identity. So we have to discover the purpose and our purpose. That's the only thing that will fulfill someone. I know people right now that they don't make a whole lot of money, and they don't uh, have a whole lot of things. But they're some of the most fulfilled people I know. They're the most excited, most happy, most satisfied people. It doesn't matter what comes across in life. They know They know their purpose. They know why they're here. They know why they have the things that they have. And they don't need all the other stuff. Remember I said this, that, um, you know, the things that, the reason why we're preaching this in church, this sounds like something to preach to lost people. In fact, I was just in a meeting this past week with an evangelist that wants to come to town and do some stuff. And, um... Uh, He was, you know, talking about the gospel message. And part of the gospel message is God has a plan for your life. And that's true. But the thing that we, the, the answer we give people is if you find God, you'll find the answer. But I know a lot of Christians that are, they're well meaning, want to be in church, are in church, living for God, but they still haven't fully discovered their purpose. So there's still some unfulfillment there. 
And so what I want to say today is the answer is in God. You have to first find God. If you don't believe God created you, and if you don't believe God put you here, then we can't go anywhere else. If, if, if I don't believe that Apple created the iPhone, and I say, well, no, they didn't do it, I'm going to go over to Samsung. Well, Samsung's not going to help me. But if I get in my head, okay, Apple created the iPhone, I'm having some problems, they can help me with it. See, we've we got to go to the right manufacturer to start off with. So we've got to find God. But there's more to it than that. And I want to help church people discover their purpose. I want to help church people know why they're here, why God placed them here, and what their lives are all about. Okay? Remember we also said this, that your purpose is made up of many assignments. And our roles in life that we play, a lot of times we devalue them because we don't think it has anything to do with our purpose. We think our purpose is surrounded by one event or one major thing that happens in our life, but that's not true. Your purpose is made up of assignments. Remember we talked about the assignment-driven life. Well, what is my assignment? Say, Pastor Mark, what's my assignment? Well, are you a wife? Are you a husband? Do you have children? Uh, are you a, a daughter or son of somebody? Do you, are you an employee or an employer? Are you a businessman? Do you own a business? These are all roles in life that a lot of times, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mom with three kids. And we devalue that. When God is saying, that's the assignment I've placed on your life to help fulfill the overall purpose. The, you working at this job, man, I wish I could just move up. No, you have an assignment at that job. Well, man, I, I just... You know, I have all these employees, and they never listen to me, and it's just disgruntled, and you know, I wish I could just fire them all. That's your assignment, is your employees. No matter what we do in life, there is an assignment attached to it, and God is wanting us to see how are you going to live out the assignment to achieve the overall purpose in your life. Jesus had many assignments, and there were times where he'd be in a town doing miracles and preaching and doing things, and... Uh, and the people would say, just stay here, don't go, just stay here forever. It's in the Bible. And he'd say, no, I can't, because I have an assignment to go to Galilee. I have an assignment to go to Samaria. I have an assignment to go to Judea. And then eventually he started telling his disciples, look, I have an assignment. I'm supposed to die on a cross, and then I'll rise again. And they couldn't get past that, and they said, no, Lord. Don't let it happen. Even his best friend, Peter, got in his face and said, this will never happen. I will not let that happen. And we know Peter was serious about it because he decided to start chop, chopping guys' ears off about it when they showed up to take him. So he was dead serious about it. But Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan, because you are against my assignment. See, there are things that will come in your life that will try to attack you. But they're really not attacking you at all. They're attacking your assignment. They're attacking your purpose. Parents, we need to realize this now. There are things in life that are trying to come against your children that are trying to attack their assignment in life. It's not about them. It's not about you. When I get sick, I don't have time for sickness. I don't have time for sickness and disease in my body. Why? Because it's attacking my purpose. If I were so sick this morning that I couldn't be here at church to preach to you, then I'm not fulfilling my assignment and my purpose. So I don't have time for that. That's why sickness doesn't have a place in, in my body, and that's why I 
get rid of it as quickly as possible. And I start speaking to that thing and start getting life in my body because Jesus already did something 2,000 years ago to take care of any sickness that could ever come in my body. And if it tries to lay me up in a bed, well, then I can't go to work and I can't go to Target and I can't go to Walmart and do my assignment, do my purpose. See, these things that come against you and come against your kids, they are attacking an assignment on someone's life. There was an assignment on my, there's an assignment on my son's life. And that got attacked and he was born at 27 weeks. And he's in the hospital for two months fighting stuff. Why? Because there's an assignment on his life and you know who knows that assignment sometimes better than we do? Satan himself. He knows your assignment. He knows why you're here. Even if we don't know, he knows. And he knows if I can take them out, that assignment won't get fulfilled. The person they're supposed to minister to. This person that they're supposed to give this money to. This person that they're supposed to pray with. This person, uh, these books they're supposed to read. And and, these books they're supposed to write. And these businesses they're supposed to own. And the money they're supposed to accumulate so they can help further the gospel. And the countries they're supposed to go preach to. That won't get fulfilled if I can take them out. It happens instantly. The, uh, being in children's ministry for the last three years before we moved here, it was phenomenal to see how much Satan is attacking. He's moving down. I mean, when I was in high school, it was teenagers. And you were good up until you got to about 13 or 14. All of a sudden, you get flooded with the uh, wealth of knowledge that you don't even need to know when you're 14 years old. And now we got 10 and 11-year-olds learning that stuff. It's sad that we can't, we can't stop because Satan's not. He's realizing if I get, see, the thing is, is seeds work at a very young age. And he knows if I can get a seed in there, then they'll grow up with that. And so that's why I always value children's ministry, and I still, too, still do to this day, because I know there is so much that they're hearing out there and so much that they're not hearing out there that an hour and a half or two hours back here in this classroom, I have an opportunity to combat what they're hearing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every commercial they see, every cartoon, every billboard, every radio ad, every friend they get around, every teacher that doesn't know Christ and isn't lifting them up and putting good stuff in them. I got two hours back here on a Sunday morning to combat all that junk. And so what are we doing? We're trying to get them on their purpose. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for your life. And so we can't devalue that. We can't devalue the purpose and the assignments that he's placed in your life. Your assignment may be in church. It may be to be a a worship leader. Your assignment may be to run sound or to greet someone at the door or or to... to, uh, you know, teach some, teach some children in the back to help youth, to do outreach ministry, to go to, to prisons and do prison ministry. Those are assignments that help achieve the overall purpose in your life. Well, I want to talk today about a man. The title of my message today is, I don't feel so great. I don't feel so great. What happens? We've been talking about purpose, discovering a purpose. And so now we all know here, we should all know by now, that you have a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. God placed you here for a specific reason. What happens when we don't feel that greatness? What happens when we don't feel like we have a purpose? What happens when we 
are in that bubble of, I don't really feel like I'm doing anything great right now. Here's where a lot of people are. We're about to relate to a young man in the Bible that sometimes God even gives you a glimpse of that greatness. God even shows you, you're going to do this with your life, or you're going to help these people, or you're going to establish this, you're going to do something. See, your purpose always involves other people. Always involves other people. It always involves another individual. And God may have even given you a glimpse and shown you what your future is, but it doesn't even come close to matching where you're at today. This is where a lot of people are. I'll tell you right now, I am. God has shown me great things that are way beyond today. And if I only live in what I see today and never prepare for tomorrow, I'll never get to tomorrow. God wants to know, what do you have today? What are you doing today? So the title of my message is, I don't feel so great. I want to open up with this phrase. Many people are not in danger of ruining their lives, but rather wasting them. Many people are in danger not of ruining their lives. There are a lot of people that are doing good things. Remember what we talked about, one of our statements that we made was, the greatest mistake in life is to be successful in the wrong assignment. Now, how do you know when you're being successful in the wrong, assi- in the wrong assignment or in the right assignment? I mean, success is success. There are a lot of people that we view today that seem successful. And I always define success with one other word, obedience. The most successful thing you can do in life is obey God. If God tells you to give $25 to that lady in the aisle at Walmart to help her with groceries, you are the most successful person on the face of the planet when you do that. That's success. It's not having millions of dollars in the bank account and paying off your house and graduating with degrees and titles and getting achievements throughout your life. That's not success. Now, I'm really proud of my dad. My dad's done very well with his life. He was in the Air Force, and he did his time, and he just retired last year, got a great civilian job back when I was in kindergarten, and now he's about to retire from that. Very successful in the natural means. But the only radar for his success is did he obey God? And I believe he did. I believe he did. He's a great man. He's awesome in my life. He's done so much for me. They still do a lot for us. But we can get all those things and and be like, all right, I've, I've done it. I've achieved it. The American dream. Kids, cars, homes, vacation homes and then be able to retire at a great age and, and keep getting paid and seeing, looking back and look at the times I was employee of the month. Look at the times that I got this award. and Look at the time I got this bonus. And in the military, he did great. He got all the way up. I think he was the second highest rank you could get in the Air Force. But when it comes down to it, God's looking for one thing. Did you obey me? Did you obey me? That's what success is. So... Many people are not in danger of ruining their lives, but rather wasting them. Because it's a waste if we're not doing what God purposed us to do. That's why we've got to discover that. Amen? Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We don't want to get caught in the waiting game. 
And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we open with a young man who really changed the world in one sense. Did some great and awesome things. And we know now how fulfilling and how purposeful his life was and and what he did. But this shepherd boy named David, he didn't have a great start. In fact, uh, and like I said, I believe a lot of us will relate to this story. Because we think about King David. And what do we think about when we think about David? We think about Goliath, right? Think about him as a king. Think about him as a conqueror. If you know the life of David, he defeated just about everybody he came in contact with. There's no one that could stand against him. These Philistines that were constantly uh, just coming against God's people, Israel. Just it was the thorn in the side, man. It was just, cannot get rid of these guys. We've, we've done fine with the Amalekites. We've done fine with the Amorites. But these Philistines, we cannot get rid of these guys. And they pull out this giant. It says, if anybody thinks that you can beat Goliath, then we will become your slaves. If you fight him and win, we'll become your slaves. Well, that's the answer we're looking for. We need to take this guy down. Nobody could do it. Not even King Saul himself. And so we see a shepherd boy show good <clears throat> amen i had that battery up here from a thing i did a few weeks ago and thank god it was still here um let me get rid of that so i don't I think it's still good amen so we have david showing up but here in first samuel chapter 16 let's go there verse 11 the prophet samuel shows up at david's house and in verse 11 it says and Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. Because Samuel just showed up, went through uh, seven of David's brothers. And God sent him here and said, we need to find a new king. King Saul's blown it. He's no good anymore. He can't rule over these people. Go find me another king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house. We got seven brothers. We're still not there. He says, well, where is he? And he said uh, in verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is. Doing what? Keeping sheep. A shepherd. I mean, even Samuel's a little floored. He's thinking, man, we should have, at least by the third son, we should have gotten somewhere. And here we are all the way down at the end, and we're having to go out in the field to the shepherd boy. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So right there it says that the Spirit of the Lord was on David, correct? Now, if that's me, and I'm thinking, man, I've just been anointed king. I'm going through towns. Forget this shepherd stuff. I'm telling my parents, see you later. I'm laughing at my brothers because they didn't get picked. And I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to 
overturn that king. God said I'm king. And whatever God says is true, it's going to happen. So let's go, let's go take care of business. I'm ready. Let's, I'll be king right now. Nope. Let's go over to uh, 1 Samuel, actually just later on down, verse 14. Chapter 16, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hands when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war. How in the world did he see all this stuff from a shepherd boy? Mighty man of valor? A man of war? I mean, you should see the way he tends those sheep, man. It's like he's going out to battle. I mean, what, what is giving that off? It's because the Spirit of the Lord is upon David, prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. That's a good bonus. The Lord's actually with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. David went right back to the sheep even after getting the glimpse of the vision of the future God has for him. God shows him, you're going to be king over all of Israel. I am anointing you king. You are going to lead my people. Not just any people, you're going to lead my people, Israel. He says, thank you. Now let me get back to my sheep. He goes right back to doing the assignment he was in. He didn't move. And we're going to see here that this became a very important posture for David to remain in his assignment. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, we're going to go down to verse 15. Goliath has shown up to battle. David has brothers, his older brothers, that are now fighting in the war. And in verse 15 it says, But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. At Bethlehem. Okay. <laughs> okay. Man, I mean, this just messes with my brain because I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting a call from the king himself that I'm going to come play a harp for him. I'm the next king. So this must be my inroad. This must be it right here. This is how I'm going to get to the throne. Something's going to happen. I'm gonna, already going to be there. And people are going to say, hey, David, you're the man. Because... Really, the rule is this next, the next person in line gets it. Jonathan, David's not even in line. But he's thinking, because you're thinking, okay, I'm way out here in this field. How, how am I going to become a king? What about me? And then you get called by the king himself to come play a harp for you. But look what he's right back to doing. He would occasionally leave and go back to feeding his father's sheep, taking care of the sheep. For someone with such a great vision, such a great future that God has given him, here's the greatness I have, here's, here's why you are here, here's the purpose I've created you for, and he's right back to tending sheep again. I, if, I mean, me, I'm thinking I'm not leaving this palace until the crown's on my head. This is it. This is, this is how I'm going to get there. There's no way you're going to get me out of here to go back to the sheep, and he does. 
Verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse, and they're talking about Goliath, And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now, David is an errand boy. I mean, we're going backwards now. We're going backwards from feeding sheep, so now I'm having to run food. I'm the takeout guy at, at Wendy's now. I'm having to deliver food to these people that are fighting war. I'm king. I'm the next king, and I have to go run food to people? I have to tend sheep? I have to take cheese to the commander? He's supposed to be working for me. But no, he stays in his position. He stays in his assignment. Verse 19, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the thing, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. So we know here, just to give you a little run through, he goes out there and says, who is this guy that's calling out all these names? Why? He's cursing my God. He's not just cursing us. He's cursing my God. So he goes to King Saul and says, hey, let me fight him. I'll take care of him. I'll get rid of that guy. Small little guy, tending sheep. Saul puts his armor on him. He couldn't even wear it. And he says, man, I'm not comfortable with this. Let me just go out and do my thing. I've got a sling. I've got some rocks. We know he goes out. He kills Goliath. Now you're thinking, this is it. This is how I'm getting. Because he kills Goliath, he takes off his head, he marches back into town, and everyone is saying Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David's getting more credit than Saul. And again, if I'm David, thank goodness I'm not David, but if I was David, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm getting more credit. I'm about to take this guy's throne. I'm the next in line. I'm about to be king. It's already been prophesied. I mean, you're keeping that vision of greatness in front of you. Yet he's still not budging. And so this makes Saul really angry. Saul was already messed up and he was already insecure. And now all of a sudden, this guy, this shepherd boy, is getting more credit than I am. And so he's seeking to kill David now. So now David's on the run. He's trying to get rid of David. Let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. So David, he has remained in his position. He hasn't come out of that. And that really set him up for the next thing here in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note. David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. David is on the run, man. He's going through caves. He's going through wilderness. He got a, a band of like three or 400 men to side with him and go with him. But he's got this tiny little army. Saul obviously has access to the entire nation and the entire army. And they're searching and seeking him out to kill him. Then Saul took 3,000, 3,000, three times or uh, ten times as many. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel 
and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. All right, if David has not made a move to this point, this is it. This is his opportunity. You're thinking, man, it's been given to you so many times. First, you, you, you get anointed out of, out of you know, feeding sheep. You're picked. Then you get chosen out of anybody. I mean, I'm sure the, 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 the palace had people, musicians, that could play music. They picked this guy to come play music. Then you take out Goliath, and everybody recognizes you and sees you now, everybody in the nation. We haven't made a move up to this point, but this is it. You're in this cave, and Saul has just shown up in the cave. This is where you take your move. And even his guys that were with him said, this is it, David. This is what we've been waiting for. And you're, if you're his guys, you've been on the run with them too. You're his guys, you're thinking, please say yes. <laughs> we're tired. We're tired of running. I mean, we're with you in this thing, but, man, we're getting wore out here. We're getting chased. Chase down everywhere we go. Please say yes. Let's do this. So it says, And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David, David's heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Who was the anointed one? Because if you go back, it says that God removed the anointing from Saul and placed it on David. And he still says, this is God's anointed. This is God's anointed man. He's saying, it's not my time for my assignment yet. I have this vision of greatness. I have this future that God has shown me, but it's not time. It's not time yet. And so he's still holding on. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David spares his life. And you keep on reading, and then he ends up saying, you know, going back to Saul and saying, hey, look what I got. I could have easily have killed you. He said, why are you chasing me? I'm not your enemy. And Saul cries and moans, you know, David, I'm so sorry. And they split their ways. But Saul wasn't done. He goes right back after him. And so two chapters later, two chapters later, 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second. <laughs> He's saying, look, here it is, man. He's laying right here. He's asleep. I promise you, if I hit him, He's going down. I'm not even going to have to hit him twice. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want with you. That's the kind of backup you want. 
Look, I got your back. If I go and attack someone for you, I ain't going to have to swing twice. He's going down the first time. But here's the thing. Notice David, he's still not moved by what people say. See, when you get in, you got this future ahead of you. You got this glimpse of what God has shown you. But then you get voices around your life that say, hey, you need to do this. Hey, this, should, this would be good for you. I remember uh, uh, we had a friend down in Florida that uh, he was working a job and he had an opportunity to move to another state and take a different position, more money, better position, the whole works. And there were people that didn't hear from God that are saying, man, do it, no brainer position better for your kids i mean you got like five kids and you know this will be better for you and he had to hear from god because again what a mistake it would be to be successful in the wrong assignment and god thought god's saying i didn't call you to move up in this company i called you to be here in saint augustine and do this and thank god he heard god's voice not to get up and move based upon what people around you are saying. Because, man, in the natural, this was the time to move. In the natural, Abishai is right. I will, I will hit him, and I will not have to hit him again. I will strike him with my sword once, and he's going down. We'll end this whole thing right now. And again, these guys that are getting chased around, getting weary, by the way, they've been doing this for seven years. This wasn't a week. This wasn't chapter 24 was on Tuesday and then chapter 26 was on Thursday. This is seven years. And you're thinking seven years ago, longer than seven years ago, I was told I was the next king. Now this king is running me down trying to kill me? You're thinking, man, I've got the opportunity. Okay, I blew it the first time I should have. Instead of taking out, his, taking out his robe, I should have taken him out himself. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And look what he does. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die. Or he shall go out to battle and perish. What's he doing? I don't have to force the vision God showed me. I don't have to force God's hand. I don't have to try to do things to help God out in fulfilling the purpose for my life. Yes, there is a working with and being obedient. But God didn't say, never did he say, I'm giving him into your hands. Go get him. So David's not moved by his friends. He's not moved by the people that work for him. He's not moved by the people surrounding him. He's only moved by one person, and that's God. And until he hears the word from God that says, go get him, he's not doing anything. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please, take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head. They got away. No man saw or knew it. Or awoke, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. So we see again, second time, David spares Saul's life. He's not moving. He's not budging. 
saying, the only thing that's important to me is God's command. He's shown me the vision. He's shown me the greatness that is inside of me. And man, you're just, you're, you're wondering, because right now we're going backwards. You're running for your life. I mean, I was better just minding my own business, tending sheep. And you're thinking, how in the world is this plan going to come to pass? This thing is going backwards. Look what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It can get worse. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. This is where David was residing, him and his family. He's already married two different women by this point and so he's got children, and all of his men are residing in this town where they were hiding them from Saul. So now somebody else comes down and attacks this city where he's at, takes his wife, takes his kids, takes everyone's families, and takes them off captive. Verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, uh, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, uh, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Wow. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And this is where I feel like a lot of people might be at. You know the vision is out there. You know that greatness is out there. You know that he's got good things in store for you. You know he's got a purpose. He may have even given you a glimpse of what it is. But everything around you is the opposite. You're there. You're, you're in a position where it's, there is nothing great happening. In fact, everybody around me wants to kill me. They're after me. Maybe not literally, but it, it, it seems like everything is coming against your purpose rather than working for your purpose. Could you imagine David at this point? He had two opportunities to kill Saul. He's the one that killed Goliath. Nobody else would. He came out of shepherding his father's flock, minding his own business, and this prophet just shows up one day, anoints him and says, you're going to be king. And now he's out running for his life, Staying in this town, they come and take everything, take his wives, take his kids, all the people that are following him because they believe in his cause. Now he's put them all at risk. And now they want to kill him. You have nobody at this point. Nobody's on your side. Nobody's pushing for you. Nobody stepped up and said, you know what, David, I still believe your purpose is going to come to pass. Nobody stepped up and said, uh, and encouraged him and said, I think you're going to make it. Everything's falling apart. And he's having to hold on to this vision that God gave him, this future that God showed him, the greatness that God revealed that was inside of him. He's having to all of a sudden, he's just having to lean back on that. And what does it say he does? But David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's something we all need to become very familiar with. Strengthening yourself 
in the Lord. What does that mean? Looking back on his faithfulness. What does it mean, strengthen himself in the Lord? Well, go read Psalms. He wrote all that. And some of those he wrote when he was in the greatest distress of his life. In fact, Psalms chapter 54, if you want to write it down, comes out of this very incident. What does that mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? That means to praise Him. That means to worship Him. That means to glorify Him. That means to make Him bigger than your problems. That means to exalt Him and say, God, I know the purpose and the plan that you have for my life is great. It may not seem like it is right now. I may not be there right now, but you will cause it to come to pass in my life. David is in a position right here where everything is the opposite of what God said he was going to do. You're talking years of running, years of hiding from this man. It didn't happen overnight. Notice he didn't go from the field to the palace. He went from the field to serving in the palace. He's serving the very man he's supposed to be replacing. Some of us won't even do that. Some of us, if we know that I'm going to be that one day, they won't even give any respect or commend that guy or work for that person. I mean, if God told you right now that you were going to be in your boss's position, how would you treat your boss? Like, I got you. I'm going to have your job. Why do I have to do anything for you? That's the mentality. But David, no. He said, I won't even, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, the man that's seeking my life the man that the Spirit of the Lord has left, the man that I had to go play the harp for because he was so distressed, that's the Lord's anointed, and I won't touch him even though he's chasing my life down. And now he's got all these people against him, the ones that were on his side. Tell you right now, God will find a way to get his purpose done even when no one else believes in you. We've been in that position where no one would believe in you. No one would believe that you could do that one day. No one would believe that you could do that or be that. But when God shows you something, the Bible says his purpose is forever. It's not dependent on everybody else agreeing with you. You look at Noah. He didn't take a vote. He said, all right, who thinks I should obey God and build this ark? He went on one person's word, God. Nobody else agreed with him. God is not waiting for people to agree with you for you to achieve your purpose. God is not waiting for people to come alongside you and help you. Thank God that there are those people that come alongside. And thank God they didn't stone David. But we don't even get attached to that. Jesus was not attached to the 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 men come alongside him with his purpose and his assignment. But they all bailed too. Peter, you will deny me three times before midnight. No, I won't. No way. Sure enough. Judas sold him out. And then the rest of the ten, they went running when he went and got arrested. They scattered all across. Didn't even want to be known as someone who knew Jesus. Because this man's on trial for blasphemy. This man's on trial for calling himself a king. This man's on trial because he thinks he's greater than the Roman government. Oh, I don't know that man. Treason. That'd be like someone trying to you know, go up into another country and say, I'm your king. That person's not your king. You don't want to know that kind of person. You don't want to be 
uh, surrounded and be around that per- kind of person and be someone known as hanging out with that kind of person. You don't want to hang out with someone that's committed treason to the United States of America. <laughs> tell you right now. You don't even want to be known as someone who had doings with. So everybody left him. But look what it says in verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall safely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. David was a great warrior. But he consulted God. This wasn't the only time he did this. He'd get with God and say, should I go after him? There was one time he, was, he came up on the Philistines again. Should I kill him? Yeah, go after him. And he knew he was going to be safe. Why? Because he was going because God told him to. And if God told him to, there was nothing going to happen to him. He sought God. He didn't go to everyone and say, hey, whoa, hold up. Don't be mad at me. What, what, what should we do then? What do you think we should do about this? He strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he sought God on what to do about the situation. And that's what we got to do. When, when, when we know that there's a purpose there and we don't know quite how to walk it out and how to fulfill it, we got to seek God. We got to go to him. Don't go to people around you. Because they don't know your purpose like God knows your purpose. They don't know your assignment. Jesus couldn't listen to the people around him. He had to go with God. God knows my purpose. God has an assignment for my life. Those are the people that I need to come in contact with. I'm not saying that God can't use people to speak into your life. He sure can. And he did all the time. But we don't need to go running to that above God's voice. Because David had already been shown a purpose from God. And if he were to go against God's purpose and say, okay, what do y'all think? Well, if he'd have done that, he would have killed Saul a long time ago, and who knows what would have happened if that took place. Who knows what would have happened at that point. So, we see here that throughout all this time, that David stayed with the purpose, the plan that God showed him in the very beginning. And he didn't come off of that. He didn't waver. No matter what people were saying, Around him. A couple chapters later, you'll read that Saul and his son Jonathan were in battle. This is how serious David was about not touching the Lord's anointed. Saul and Jonathan were in battle. And Jonathan got killed. And Saul killed himself. Committed suicide and fell on his own spear. Well, one of David's men comes up on the scene, sees them dead, and he's thinking, dude, I'm going to get credit for this. If I tell David that I killed King Saul, man, he'll make me second in command. Think how awesome David's going to think I am. So he lied. He lied about it. Saul killed himself. But he goes, he said, I came up on the scene and Jonathan was dead and and I saw Saul there, and, and I killed him. David killed him. <laughs> That's how serious he was. He said, you have killed the Lord's anointed. 
And he killed him right there on the spot. And the dude didn't even really kill him. He lied about it. That's how serious David was. But this is the process. And there's many more stories. You can talk about Joseph, man. Joseph had visions and dreams as a young boy that his father and his brothers were going to bow down to him. He had two different dreams. Now, you know, he, he liked to talk, apparently, and he told his brothers about it. I wouldn't have told my brother. I wouldn't tell my 12 older brothers that one day you're going to bow down and worship me. Sorry. But Joseph did. And his plan got way off. He ended up in prison. He went to, he went to work for this guy and was doing great. The guy's wife tries to sleep with him, and now he's getting accused of raping her, ends up in prison, and still fulfills the purpose. There's no, it doesn't matter how far off track. It doesn't matter what comes against you. God's purpose will last forever. Look at Psalms chapter 33. David wrote this, and now we know why David wrote it. Chapter 33, verse 11 in Psalms. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The New Living says, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. And remember what we said intentions were? Purpose defined is the original intent. Your intention, his intention for your life, his intention for all of mankind, it will never fail. It cannot be shaken. It will go to all generations. It means there's a purpose for your parents, there's a purpose for you, and there's a purpose for your kids, there's a purpose for their kids, and to all generations. That's the purpose of God, that it will last forever. We all have greatness inside of us, everybody. We talked about potential last week and how potential is something that hasn't even been tapped into yet. You all have potential. And that potential is placed in there at creation. There is nothing that is in you that God is still trying to work out. He just wants you to walk it out. See, when they sent me this iPad, they sent it with all the potential that it needed to do everything they say it can do. They can't say uh, it, it has the ability uh, for you to search the Internet and then I turn it on and I can't get an Internet connection. Oh, well, send it back and we'll add that to it. No, the potential for the Internet connection is already built into it at creation. Whether I use it or not, I could go my entire life and never use the Internet connection, but it's been there the whole time. You have to tap into it. And so we all have that greatness inside of us. Here's the thing that I want you to realize. This is the thing that you have to understand from David's life. We are responsible for the assignments, but God is responsible for the purpose. You are responsible to fulfill the assignments that he's placed you in in life. But God is responsible for achieving the overall purpose in your life because he's the creator. And the assignments, they help drive that purpose. But as long as you fulfill those assignments, see, as long as David stayed in the assignment, 
as long as he didn't get outside of his role, as long as he didn't try to be king before it was time to be king, even though God showed him and even anointed him to do it, gave him the potential and the power to do it at that point, it wasn't time yet. So he remains in the assignment. Jesus, even though he could have saved uh, all of mankind by going to the cross when he was 25, he didn't go till he was 33 and achieved his purpose. He kept fulfilling the individual assignments. And then he said, Father, it is now time. There was a specific time. You may have a picture of greatness. God may have already begun to show you. But he wants to know, what are you doing in today's assignments? What are you doing as a mom? What are you doing as a, as a wife or as a husband, as a father? What are you doing at the job you're at today? God may have shown you that you're going to own this business and do this great thing, but are you staying faithful and serving at the job you're at today? That you may have the potential within you to own a business, a multi-million dollar business. But right now where you're at today, he wants to know, are you going to remain faithful in the assignment as an employee to this person? The assignment drives the overall purpose. He's responsible for the purpose. We're responsible for those assignments. And I don't have to worry about how is this assignment today going to get me to this purpose. See, I've known as a child that I was going to pastor a church. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's vision in me and there's greatness that God has shown me that's beyond where we're at today. And I couldn't question him when I moved to Florida and I'm helping set up and tear down classrooms to get ready for church. I can't question him and say, how is this assignment going to get me to that purpose? I can't question him. When I get the phone call, hey, we want you to be our children's pastor. And I don't want anything to do with kids at this point. I'm not excited about that at all. But when I understand, no, he's assigning me as children's pastors for this amount of time, for this season, I don't question it and I say, no, God, what's wrong with you? I don't want anything to do with kids. I want a senior pastor. That doesn't even sound like children's pastor. That's not even the same thing. I can't question him. I can't say, God, you're you're getting it all wrong. No, the assignments in our lives help achieve that overall purpose. And he wants to know, what are we doing with what we have today? I don't feel so great. I don't feel like I'm doing greatness right now. I don't feel like I'm in a position. I'm not talking literally, but I'm saying this is what's going on in our heads sometimes. I don't feel like we're doing anything great. I don't feel like I'm doing anything that awesome. I'm just at home feeding the kids mac and cheese for lunch. I'm just trying to lay them down for a nap. I'm just washing dishes. I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. And he's saying, you are preparing for the overall purpose I have for your life. Keep doing the assignments. Keep staying where I've got you. And then new assignments show up and new assignments show up. And then eventually we're in the purpose the whole time and we never even realized it. David's purpose didn't show up when he actually put on the crown. It showed up the first time he went out to the field, obeyed his father, and tended sheep. And that's why he could keep going back to it. 
because he knew this is an assignment in my life. Yeah, he may be showing me I'm a king, but I'm not jumping assignments to try to get, even when he had opportunities. If it wasn't God, he didn't want to do it. He had the chance to take out Saul, but did that mean he'd become king? But yet God made him king in the appropriate time, and he was able to die, and he was able to pass on to his son, Solomon, the kingdom, the right way. And so that's what God's wanting to say. We've gone through what purpose is. We've gone through how to discover purpose. We've talked about your potential. We've talked about your identity. We've talked about all this stuff. But what happens when I don't feel like all that stuff is taking place? He's saying, what are you doing in the assignment I've given you today? They've asked you to help with the kids in the nursery at church. But, Lord, you know that, you know, I, 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 that I, I want to teach one day. I, I want to teach the adults, and I want to have classes. This is the assignment I've asked you to do. The assignment is to, to pay for someone's groceries in line at Target. And you're thinking, I want to I, I bless, you know, all the people across town. I want to set up something where I can get food to other people. And he's saying, let's just start with this one. Here's your assignment. Pray for the lady in the cubicle next to you. There's assignments that we're always coming across in life. And sometimes we devalue them and sometimes we override them because we're just looking at the overall purpose. Thank God David did not just look at the overall purpose. Thank God Jesus didn't. That would have been terrible if Jesus would have just came, would have just shown up, died on a cross, and then never did any miracles, and never taught me how to live in the kingdom, never taught me about the kingdom, never taught me what it was to be born again, never did any of that. Thank God he spent three years with 12 disciples so they could then carry on the work he was doing. Wouldn't that be sad if Jesus went to the cross, died, rose again, went back to heaven, but never told us what any of that was about? So what did he do? Assignment after assignment. Matthew was his assignment. John was his assignment. Peter was his assignment. Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Judas Iscariot. Assignments to help achieve the overall purpose. The woman at the well in Samaria was an assignment. Judea was an assignment. Galilee was an assignment. There were assignments in his life. So then when he gets to the overall purpose, it's everything it needs to be. It's everything it needs to be. He's given you a vision. He's given you purpose. If he hasn't fully brought it, Known to you, I promise you just stay in it. You stay adamant with it. You go to God. Don't go to people around you. Don't go to your teachers. Don't go to your parents. Go to God and say, you created me. My parents didn't create me. The teachers didn't create me. My Facebook friends didn't create me. You created me. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. God, I want to know what it is. And then you just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep staying faithful in the assignments he's given you. And you will find that just like David, one day that purpose, it will play itself out in your life. And it's going to be extraordinary. You're going to influence and impact a ton of people. And you'll be able to look down every assignment and see how it got you there.
I can literally look at my life and look at everything I've done as an assignment and saying that was an assignment. I can look at individual people in my life and say that person was an assignment in my life. I was attached to this person for a while. I was up under this ministry. Uh, I helped that person to get where I'm at today, and I'm still walking out assignments now, still, to achieve that overall purpose. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, I thank you that this word gets planted in our spirits, that this wasn't just head knowledge. Father, may it, may it not be so light, may it not